Hello, and you're listening to Changemakers with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm Michael Heyman, and welcome to Journeys of Discovery here at the Royal Festival Hall in London. Over the course of these conversations, we explore fundamental questions about what it means to be human, and they accompany these incredible concerts. And to go on our journey of discovery today, we're starting at home. That's because I'm joined by George Clark, the architect, TV presenter, lecturer and writer, best known for his work with Channel 4, including The Restoration Man and George Clark's Amazing Spaces. George, great to see you. Thanks for having me. I mean, I've got a great CV. I could have kept on reading. I mean, you've done a lot, George. <laughs> Quite a bit. Probably too many programmes, but anyway. But a real passion. Let's start, though, with the passion for music, because, I mean, we've just been watching the, the sort of the rehearsal for uh, a concert we're going to go and watch this evening. Psychedelia, described as variously brilliant, unhinged, you name it. It's all there. Unpredictable, Unpredictable. I think that's one word that I heard. Unpredictable. That sounds like your your musical journey yourself. I'm not going to say unhinged, but unpredictable, definitely. Probably a little bit unhinged. It's certainly eclectic and diverse. Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, classical music just wasn't on my radar yeah. at all. Why? Why was that? Well, I think, I mean, none of my family were musicians. Mm -hmm. None. Um, I think I was given a... I did one of those tests at school. Um, I didn't quite know what was going on. It was about kind of judging pitch and tone and the difference between notes. And then all of a sudden I was kind of given a violin yeah. at the age of about, I don't know, God, I must have been about eight. The violed in, as yeah. you call it, at that age. And they gave me this violin and I just thought, what am I going to do with that? Any, any ability? Terrible. Terrible. Really, really bad. I remember there was, there was a couple of people in my year who were really, really good. And then we'd get called together to play together, assuming that we'd all gone off and, and learned lots at home. And I used to try and hold the bow over the top of the strings and not physically touch the strings, because so, I knew I'd be caught out. So maybe if you'd stuck with it, we could have been watching George Clark, the, the violinist. I mean, a different type of woodwork, violin wood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, if you want to, I could make a whole podcast with you just about the craftsmanship but, of, of instruments. Oh, I mean, that's beautiful. a beautiful... That's, I, was, I was thinking about that when we were watching it, is that, you know, what did the architect's eyes see when you see this great structure and form of all these musical instruments together? I mean, there's a great physicality I to mean, it, isn't there? Well, firstly, I think I've never seen that before. I've never seen a rehearsal before. Mm. And I kind of, I've got to be careful what I say, I might get in trouble. But in some ways, I think I prefer that to the main performance later, even though I haven't seen yeah. the main performance later. But obviously, I've seen nothing yet. Well, I've seen the Real Philharmonic Orchestra play a number of times. Yeah. And, and obviously, everyone's kind of suited and booted and wearing their beautiful dresses and, and the conductor's looking all dapper and everything's perfect. absolutely precise and yeah. perfect. I kind of like the imperfections of what I just saw, really. Yeah. Because it's a bit more raw. I mean, one of the violinists was wearing a pair of walking boots. Yeah. Yeah, and a pair of jeans yeah. in the rehearsal because they haven't got changed yet. And I've only kind of recently, I think, really fully understood what a conductor really does. Yeah, and we saw that, didn't we? And you see it where a conductor stops them playing and says, no, 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 that's, yeah. that's too hard. That needs to be softer. Or at one point he kind of said, that's too kind of da 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 da, da. It, it, it felt a bit too machine gun yeah. and he didn't like it. He said, I want some more joy, yeah. joy in it. It's too hard. And to see that is kind of, it's incredible. I love it. It's I love it. Because, because you, kind you, of, see, you see the craftsmanship, the artisan, the, you know, the sort of the intent of what, of what the conductor's trying to do with the orchestra, with this great group of humanity. Yeah, I mean, we just met Vasily for a couple of seconds beforehand, before they did the rehearsal, yeah. and quite lo very lovely, quite a humble man, and then he just stands up and becomes really powerful and starts taking control yeah. and really crafting what's, yeah. what's made. And it Ma was, amazing to see. Yeah, and then I, I kind of loved it when he stopped them. He stops everyone, he's like, no, 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 you need to do this, you need to do yeah. that. And then probably one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen in music where he, 
you kind of had some of the, I think the violinists at the back who had to have water glasses, glasses of water. Correct. And play them at one point. Yeah. And then all the rest of the orchestra had these little metal bells in well, their hands. Well, we're, we're here watching uh, watching Psychedelia for a reason, I guess. Um, which well, is what we get. <laughs> we'll see in the orchestra get the giggles yeah, and yeah. laugh and look at each other no, thinking, what's going on? I yeah, kind of love that. It's going to be amazing. Now, listen, let's go, let's go back, though. I mean, I want to... I mean, talk about psychedelic experiences. I want to take you back to a visit, I think, to a newsagent, and you pick up a magazine, and there's a CD on it, and everything changes. Tell us more. Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, I didn't have any connection with classical music at all. Mm. I really didn't. Um, my uncle used to listen to kind of lots of 70s yeah. rock stuff. What, what were you listening to at 16? Oh, I was listening to everything. I mean, honestly, really eclectic. Well, well, do you know what? I wasn't massive. I was in the pop a little bit, but not massively. Yeah. I mean, now I think kind of 80s pop I prefer listening to now than I did back then. I was listening to kind of 70s stuff, like Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. I loved all that. A little bit of the Beatles. 80s stuff, probably quite edgy stuff like The Cure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of bands coming out of Manchester and Sheffield and, you know, obviously New Order. Incredible. New Order, Human League. Human League, all of that. that. And and obviously if you went a bit more poppy, I'd be like, you know, Ultravox and stuff like that kicking in. Vienna. Um, But yeah, I, I listened to... But I used to listen to like Scott Walker, yeah, people like that. I, funny enough, when we were sitting there listening to the orchestra with their kind of glasses of water and their bells, I remember kind of reading about Scott Walker taking pieces of meat into the studio yeah. and, and punching it. He'd go to the butchers and buy stuff and hit it and punch it and try and get different sounds in the studio. I've never seen the RPA do that, Joe. I don't think the RPA would get there. I don't think the vegans would be but, very happy. But anyway, so you get this CD. That's, so yeah, so, but the I didn't thing, get to that part of the story. Did I? Well, well, the thing I wanted to just remind listeners to is that I mean, if you're of a certain vintage, you remember that you used to go into the newsagents and you would get these magazines and they would have these CDs on them. And for a lot of people, that was a beginnings of a journey because you would suddenly listen to something that perhaps you'd never yeah. listened to before, never even thought about listening to before. All of a sudden you so, get one with Mozart. So I, I, I love music. I wasn't into classical music at all because it just wasn't on my radar. I was 16 and I'd started my architectural apprenticeship and there was two things that I bought in the first few months of me earning 40 quid a week. Mm. First one was a five-piece drum kit because I decided I wanted to be in a band and I didn't play anything else and I just thought drums look easy and it was. It was just musical experiences with you, George. It was really easy. I had a a (laughs) five-piece drum kit as well as my single bed and a wardrobe and a dartboard and a black and white TV in my two-and-a-half-metre by two-and-a-half-metre bedroom. And I used to drive my mum absolutely nuts by playing the drums all day. And the drums can be pretty monotonous when you're not playing in a band, when you're just there on your own. Were you you a sort of gentle player? No, I used to really... Well, because I used to listen to Led Zeppelin and watch John Henry Bonham, so you'd go for it. And then... A paycheck, I think about two months after that, I went to a music shop in Newcastle in the arcade and I bought a CD player. And that CD player needed to have an amp and needed to have speakers. I didn't have enough money yeah. for the amp or the speakers. So I just bought the CD player and a yeah, set of headphones. And it was a piece of technology back then. Yeah. yeah people, people forget, because I remember when I, when, I, when I got my very first CD, I had one CD for about a year and a half. That's all I ever listened to because I couldn't afford, the CDs were so expensive. But actually what, what people forget is that Back in that time, a CD was a magical thing, right? Yeah. It opened up a, a whole journey, I guess. And, the, and the, this record shop, this shop's still there, this music shop was still yeah. there in Newcastle. And they had an offer on that if you bought this particular make of CD player, you could pick three CDs from what they had in the shop. And in 1990, I think I'd been to see Tina Turner. So I got ah. a Tina Turner CD, Brian Adams CD, and a Dire Straits CD, which, you know, 
that's so an eclectic mix of moved on to, I was going to say, moved on to more of an easy listening. Yeah, so very easy listening. So, well, it was kind of, <laughs> my uncle listened yeah. lots of Dire Straits. Yeah. I'd be in the car with him a lot. Yeah. Tina Turner, I'd just seen sure. the concert. Brian Adams, I kind of liked. Um, so I went back home, had my headphones, listened to that. And then I went to the newsagents and bought, I just saw a magazine. Music, it was a classical music magazine. And there, stuck to the front cover, was a Mozart CD. And I think, I don't know how much the magazine was, but obviously the CD was free with a mag. Yeah. And I bought it. And that... I can honestly say that was a life-changing moment for me, certainly in, when, it, when it comes to music. So, obviously, you were listening in headphones, so that would have been a quite immersive experience. Well, I went back home, put the headphones on, lay on my bed, because I didn't have a chair or anything like that in my bedroom, mm. apart from my yeah. drum kit still. And I just lay on my bed, and it knocked me for six. I remember it really, really knocking me out. Yeah. And do you know what? I used to listen to Mozart's Requiem in yeah. the dark. Yeah. At night, I turn all the lights off, and I'd lie on my, on my bed with my headphones on, listening to Requiem. And I just, for me, I just thought this guy's a rock star. So, if I could ask you to try and think back and capture the actual feeling, I mean, what was it? Was it joy? Was it? I mean, what was the, what was what was the emotion? I guess that that, that it unlocked in you. God, that's a very very good question. I think it depend. It really depended on what part of Mozart I listened to. Obviously, if you listen to the Requiem, Requiem was quite dark and somber. I kind of liked it. Yeah. I like, um, you know, like I'm a big fan of Radiohead. Yeah. And you listen to some of Radio Radiohead's tracks now, and you can see how Mozart and Mozart's Requiem has yeah. kind of inspired Tom York and, and some of his writing. And of course, with a lot of classical musicians, is that you know one of the easy things to forget in a contemporary setting is that these guys were the rock stars of their day. I mean, they were experimental, they were pushing boundaries, they were doing things that had never been done before. But I, I think, I think with my, it was interesting you said the word joy, and I had to think about that for a second, because a lot of, I wasn't that exposed to classical music, but when yeah. I did hear it on the radio, a lot of it seemed very heavy yeah. and serious. And then when I heard Mozart, it was... It was joyful. Yeah. It was it was like he was bending the rules. But it was a connection. Massive connection. Mm. I mean, I found it uplifting. Yeah. I could also find it heavy and yeah. and strong like the Requiem, but most of it like like some of his piano sonatas, it was it was amazing. I found it like really beautiful and rhythmic yeah. and wonderful and because there was times I think when if I'd hear someone like Beethoven on the radio it was just too heavy for me yeah I mean now I really appreciate it and yeah. I listen to it a lot more but Mozart made it really I don't know I just felt like it was it was different mm. it, I felt like it was a rock star it kind of opened up the musical but, world for but me but I suppose for me I mean I, I, I kind of approach this in not a dissimilar position as you I mean I, I'm not a sort of musician I, I came came to this through my experience in life but I think the reason why I I love orchestral music, and I would say classical music, but I love movie music, all sorts of things that involve these sort of big ensembles of musicians that come together is, is the emotional reaction that it brings out in me. And I suppose over time, I've come to understand that, you know, there was music perhaps I wasn't ready for, that I've become ready for, but that there is, what I really enjoy is the, is the reaction that it brings out in me. And that's why, you know, when I read when I read the story about, about that CD, I, I can really relate to that because I think it hits you at a certain level. And I, and I suppose the question is, why might that be? But, you know, in, in terms of, I suppose it's, it's this question about what music brings out in us in terms of the human experience. I think for me at that time, I was I was very much reading a lot about Renaissance architecture, yeah. Georgian architecture. I'm a massive fan of Palladio, the architect. You know, he was born around 1508, died 1580. And that whole Renaissance, Italianate, beautiful classical architecture that was created, that was then basically exported to the UK. You know, you've got Robert Adam and Inigo Jones. It, for me, it kept 
Yeah, it's classical architecture. That's what we call it. Yeah. You know, that's what it's defined as. And I don't think there's any coincidence that when I started hearing Mozart and, and becoming to appreciate the beauty and elegance of classical music, I felt there was a connection to what I was reading that's about really architecture as well. The architecture and the music were like hand in hand for me. But I suppose, I suppose just to explore that further, I suppose music is fluid, it's present, we're there, we're listening to it. Architecture is this kind of like more eternal, physical form. I mean, in te- yeah, but, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, right? I'm, I feel like I'm in a therapy session now because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you... I'll I'm, stop the clock. I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone ever before. When I was, re- I wanted to be an architect from 12 years old and I used to, I, I got really absorbed in reading lots of books. I was an avid, avid reader, mm. obsessed by architecture on another level really and between I remember from the age of 12, 13, 14 I would just read and absorb myself in, in the history of architecture mm. it was a massive kind of self-education because I wasn't taught that at school Yeah, and in some ways I kind of enjoyed teaching myself more than I did being at school really I used to have this recurring dream I've never mm. told anybody this go for it but I used to have this recurring dream where I was in a kind of Palladian style very neoclassical cathedral floating through the space now, I was just wearing my kind of normal 80s clothing. I wasn't kind of dressed in anything weird. So, and, and I wasn't flying around the space. I was floating. I was, I was about 8, 10 foot high, floating generally around that space and going up with the columns and, and exploring. And were you aware of yourself? Were you physically present or spiritually yeah. present? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. so. And, and, and I used to, and I felt it was very tactile. Right. So I was kind of exploring the materials and touching the columns and the arches. And I've always found those cathedrals really beautiful. Mm. Even though I, I like Gothic architecture, I've always preferred neoclassical. But there was there was classical music playing as I was, I was floating say, through the say, space. So continuing the therapy session, the music. And what was the music? I, just, I, I, I genuinely don't know. It was nothing that was distinguishable. I didn't recognise yeah. it. it was, I would say it was Mozart-esque. It was, it was relatively light. Yeah. It wasn't heavy. It was, um, I remember there's a lot of piano in there, and it was, it was, it was a light, very, very light music. It wasn't mm. heavy at all. And I think for me, it's that, that recurring, I must have had that for two or three years, you know, yeah. it was weird, actually. Yeah. God, I've never told anybody this. This is really strange that I'm telling this now. Thanks for sharing it, George. I mean, but, but I'm, the thing I'm interested with that is, do, do you think that there are, do you, do you think there is a kind of circularity here, that, you know, a connection between, I suppose, how you experience music, but also how you look at things like architecture 100%, and the... 100%. And, and, a million percent. I mean, yeah. we used to, when I used to do... Um, I only really understood that, I think, when I got to university where we do quite intense lectures on, yeah. on the theory of architecture. And I remember once we had someone who came in from the music industry. Yeah. I think he was a composer, actually. He composed music. And he would tell us about, you know, the kind of... the the tingling effect, you know, the, the hairs standing on end, mm. the goosebump moments yeah. when you'd written a piece of music and it really touched you and really affected you. And it, it was no coincidence that he was asked to give us that talk in an architectural lecture because right. I have that moment when I go into buildings. Yeah. I walk into a building and I get moved. I mean, I walked into the into the Pantheon in Rome for the first time and I was nearly in tears, you know, kind of got to me. And then they used to talk about architecture being frozen music. Well, I was going to say, is, is that because there's a rhythm in architecture? Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah. There's, I mean, when, you, when you're designing a facility, sort of a building or a sequence of spaces you're thinking about the pace of how you move through it and the rhythm of that facade yeah if you come up with a certain detailing on an elevation you're looking at pattern and rhythm yeah and and, ha- and how things are, are literally composed because i think what's you know the thing i'm trying to sort of, i suppose explore with this is that it coincides that your favorite era for architecture coincides with your favorite era for this initial musical experience yeah. and i suppose trying to work out 
what were the what are the what are the themes that join both that that are? I mean, you mentioned something like the elegance and the. I think I think composition is yeah. one. I mean, we you know I've I've studied architectural composition. I haven't studied musical composition. Yeah. At all, but how we compose a facade, and you think about you know the golden section, yeah. and and all of those rules of proportion means that you get a very balanced, very beautiful, very elegant facade. Mm. I mean, seeing that rehearsal today reminded me of when I sit doing rough sketches. Yeah. I'm not saying that was a rough rehearsal; yeah. it was actually very beautiful. But when I'm doing a sketch and I'm I'm designing something, I'm going, "That's not right. That's not right. That doesn't that doesn't feel right. The yeah. balance of that's not right. The proportion of that's not right." And you draw it, and you draw it again and you draw it again and draw it again until the point where you go okay that's really beautiful i'm hoping it's perfect and that's no different to what we've just watched in that rehearsal but you're also doing it from the ground floor up right you know there's nothing there you've got a blank sheet of paper you know a conductor's got an orchestra that's not not yet played a single note you've got to do something that i suppose you've got to dig deep within you've got to find some element of self-knowledge yeah. to actually do the job that that you do yeah but i think that's that's the beauty of it. It's it's like a writer sitting down to write. Yeah. Those first five words are the scariest five words they yeah. have to write. And when I sit down with a pen and a piece of paper, those first hand movements of what you're doing are kind of quite scary, really. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know I suppose the theme of this is is journey and discovery, and I kind of like the unpredictability of that. Really, you know, I, I prefer the un, unpredictable and well, you mentioned the unhinged. Yeah. It's, of, of, of the performance not tonight, you, not tonight's me. No, well, no, possibly me. But you know, tonight's performance is is, is psychedelic and unhinged and unpredictable. Yeah. And I, I kind of that's what I love about the journey of anything, yeah. whether it's the journey of design or the journey of travel or whatever it might be. That kind of unpredictability of not knowing what you're going to discover. But I suppose the, the thing that when you think about the image of, of of classical music is that you know some might say, well, it, well, it is predictable. It is, you know, the, the, I suppose the people that don't. Oh, I don't think it is. See that? No, well, I, I don't think it is. But I think a lot of people. I think a lot of the image of classical music is not what you get. I mean, actually, what you get is something that's unpredictable. It's stretching. It's it's something that is there to actually push your boundaries. But I suppose the well, question I, th- is, I how think do more people take that first step. Oh, that's that's really interesting, actually. So, because I'm not an authority on classical music. Yeah. I wouldn't even say I had. I wouldn't say I had an average amount of knowledge. I think I've got a small amount of knowledge, but not a lot. In some ways, I quite like that because yeah. it's that unpredictable. I don't know what's coming. So when we've just sat, listened at that rehearsal, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen from one second to the next. Yeah. None, and I kind of love that. There's a, in some ways, there's a benefit of being ill-educated in well, classical but I, music. But I agree, and, and you know, and this is one of the things why I was so looking forward to, to, to talking to you because I experience classical music at quite an elemental level for exactly the same reason, which is that it's like boom, all of a sudden you heard something, or all of a sudden you found yourself weeping over something, or all of a sudden you're joyful. This is the journey is what makes it so wonderfully exciting. A million percent, a million yeah. percent. But I think there's another level to that. Um, my partner's a classical musician and she would play me a piece of music and say, okay, listen to this. And then she'd go, right, I'm going to play the same piece of music by someone who is going to be very different. Exactly the same piece of music, but I'm going to play the same. And the emotion that I would feel in the second piece was way more than the first. And I was like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think that, certainly a lot of people like me, and, and I thought I thought this was, oh, classical music is classical music. There's a, you know, there's a composition, there's a wonderful composer who's written something in 1812, and, and someone's going to perform it. Yeah. And actually that is just not the case. No. 
at all. It's mm. it's not that mechanical. It's not that robotic. Mm. It's when you get a different conductor crafting something in a different way and you've got a different, I don't, let's say you've got a different pianist who's playing a piece of music. When someone's got that absolute talent of providing something ridiculously emotional, yeah. it hits you. Absolutely. I mean, I watched the, the Royal Philharmonic um, at Cadogan Hall um, a few months ago playing Tchaikovsky and yeah. I was like, yeah. there was points I wasn't and- breathing. And, and it's also that live experience. You're there. You're in. You're in the orchestra. You're with them. You're sort of like. You're, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I've, got, I've genuinely that this is I'm, when you talk about the emotional reaction to something in that rehearsal when we were sitting there. There was yeah. a point I realised I wasn't breathing properly. Yeah. Yeah. You're and the, I was like, hang on, I've got to breathe. Like breathe. Yeah. And it's not, it's because sometimes I'm waiting, thinking oh, what's coming next, and it's really yeah, intense. It is intense. But I suppose the other thing, though, is that reading a little bit about your life, it's the first time we've met, but the thing that I see in you is that you're a bit of an explorer, right? You know, that actually, you know, you're an explorer. The, 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 I suppose the musical journey, there's a parallel here between somebody that seems to have fallen into a few things, actually the exploration that's taken you yeah. into architecture, into TV, into so many of the things that your story seems to have uh, is experimentation let's put and it, exploration. As, as part of that exploration and as part of that journey of discovery, I never thought I'd be doing a podcast for the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra well, and talking to you now at the Royal Festival Hall. So, and that, I, but I think that's the beauty of life, really. Yeah. I mean, I just, I am a bit of an explorer. No one's ever told me that, but I, I kind of am. I think I, I like exploring different yeah. things, different ideas. Well, well, I, I suppose the reason why I say that is because the common phrase in a lot of articles is, I fell into, you know, I fell into yeah, TV, yeah. I fell into architecture, I fell into, but, but actually I think there's probably more of a, yeah, I think when you piece it together, you can see, you can see that even if there wasn't an explicit journey plan, you can see what, why you are where yeah, you I, are. I think, I think the architect one's the easy one. Yeah. You know, my granddad was a builder. I spent a lot of time on building sites. My my dad passed away when I was very young, but the seven years I had with him, he used to sketch and draw all the time. He was inspired a, by He him. was like an amateur cartoonist, right. really. He just did it for fun. But, he but used... did he inspire you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, he was the one that got me drawing, really. Right. So the combination of my dad sketching and drawing and being a kind of amateur illustrator and my grandfather being a builder, becoming an architect is probably the easy one to explain. Yeah. Um, and and I had such a love for it at such a young age. I love buildings. I yeah. love them. I loved the I loved seeing them being built. Yeah. You know, the physicality of it uh, on a very simple level. And was that just because you loved the aesthetic, or did you love the human drama that went behind? I, I loved the process. I loved yeah. the fact that the more I read about it, that's someone who designed a building in 1585. It was still standing today. Yeah. And the more and more and more that I've explored and travelled and seen more buildings from different cultures from different periods in some ways the more beautiful my life's become really like you know I wouldn't say um you know I've always been a fan of Palladio I've just yeah. mentioned yeah you know, he died in 1580 and, and but I still hadn't seen a lot of his work until I don't know 10 12 years ago yeah. and I went to Vicenza um I even rented a house that he designed that's how much I got absorbed in it but I remember um going to the uh, Teatro Olimpico the you know, the Olympic theatre that he designed. He never saw that finished. It, 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 it was completed in, in 1585. Yeah. That theatre, if, I mean, if if no one's ever seen that theatre, you should go and see it. It's one of the most fantastic pieces of architecture I've ever seen in my life. And it's a bit of set design. And some of it's just and, and if you put your finger on why it, why it inspired you like that, what, what do you think captures the 
the X Factor. Well, he was, a, I mean, he was like Mozart. He was a bit of a rock star. Yeah. He bent all the rules. He was a revolutionary. And and he, if you think more sets on a stage were two-dimensional, yeah. there were just a, there was a fabric or a cloth or it might be a few layers of cloth. That might be it. He basically designed streets. You know, he, 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 ex, he accentuated the perspective of those streets to create something that blew everyone's mind. So your journey is also about pushing boundaries and that actually music and architecture are... Are, I suppose proxies for some of that, doesn't it? In terms of actually, where are the limitations? Where where can we go? I mean, yeah, is there I something mean, in that. It's interesting. I could have I could have got a job. Well, I did have a job actually with a, a very very big architectural practice in London when I was training, mm. and I could have stayed there and and just climbed the ladder of of corporate architecture yeah. and become a design partner and designed I don't know airports and skyscrapers. I, I left as soon as I could and set up my practice on my own. Yeah. And I mean, talk about exploration and a journey of discovery. I just, that's it. I just left. I left on, I left the practice I was at and I was in a really, really good position. I left on the, well, January 2000. I went off for the millennium to the desert in California and I came back and went, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and it's because I love getting involved in very diverse, very unusual, very bizarre, very eccentric projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazing Spaces as a TV series, you know, the architectural establishment would probably say that's that's not architecture. Yeah, you know, people doing caravans and camper vans and tree houses—that's not architecture. It's absolutely architecture. But you see, I think this is a parallel conversation with music because some people go, "That's not classical," whatever. But actually, it's just the. It's whatever works in the centre of the experience, isn't it? In terms of actually what what takes you on your journey, and I think I think the thing that you know that your TV work has done it just opens it up for people to you know feel that it's not something that's done by an establishment or somebody over here. That's, that's, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I'm glad you said that because you know the the architectural establishment can be seen as being quite stuffy and yeah. very aloof and not particularly accessible. Yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that even Channel 4 don't call their programmes architecture programmes because it thinks it alienates people. So they're called home programmes. How do you feel about it? Because, you know, there's, there's a, as I say, the phenomenal parallel is like classical music will often go through the same thing of actually does that close it off for people in the same way that architecture, to somebody who's trained in in architecture, you know, language matters, right, doesn't it? It does yeah. actually how you, how you bring people with you. Yeah, it does. But I think, you know, the architectural establishment have got a role to play in creating wonderful buildings, but also that should be accessible. And I think that's what a lot of my programmes do. You know, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra obviously is searching for real perfection in its work and doing beautiful performances. But I know it also does things that try and make what they do more accessible for younger generations or people that might not know about classical music. So I think it's got to go hand in hand. You've got to do both. I feel like I make architecture programmes. Yeah. But a lot of people think I make home shows. Yeah. Well, well, and and I suppose, does it matter? I mean, this is the thing about about music. Does does it matter what people think they're listening to? Isn't it the experience? You know, I was reading this Joni Mitchell quote. I suppose we're we're almost out of time, George. But she said, I see music as fluid architecture that actually... That music has this job to build things, to build things, I suppose, in our imagination, in our minds. Let's finish with your future journey of, of discovery in terms of what's the future fluid architecture for well, George? That's, well, that's, that's an interesting question because I don't know. You don't know? I haven't got, I literally haven't got a clue. Maybe that's a good thing. And I, and I don't, I don't really plan ahead that far. I just see what happens. I literally go with the flow and, and just... That unpredictability makes it exciting for me. I, I couldn't sit behind a desk for eight, nine, ten hours a day just doing drawings, as much as I loved it. I really, really loved it. And um, part of my job now is meeting lots of different people, 
in lots of different places, looking at lots of different buildings, lots of unusual building materials and building techniques done by many different cultures. And that, that's kind of enriched my life on another level, really. Well, I have to say, George, I mean, you might be famous for amazing spaces, but I think you've got some amazing views. Thanks so much for joining me on Changemakers. Absolutely. Jonas Discovery. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Changemakers with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. You can find out more and book tickets to see the RPO's Journeys of Discovery series live at rpo.co.uk forward slash journeys. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaigns firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Our audio partners are Rode and our soundtrack today, Strauss's also Sprach Zarathustra, was provided by the BBC. To find out more about the podcast, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? <laughs>